Who am I? I'm nobody. But it doesn't matter. I've got God. So let's just make ourselves available to God for him to do whatever it is he wants, whenever it is he wants, wherever it is he wants. Brethren, that's why we're on earth, for God's use, for his glory, and it's great. Who am I? What an incredible, insightful question for man to ask. It's one asked throughout Scripture by people who came to realize, as the Apostle Paul did in Romans 7:18, when he said, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. It's necessary for us to come to the realization that I can't, but in doing so, we must simultaneously come to the truth that God can. Follow along with guest speaker Wayne Wiseman as he walks us through scripture for the purpose of revealing this wonderful truth. And make sure to stay with us after the devotion for a few closing remarks and announcements. Okay, well, hello, everybody. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, lead in a, a devotional in this manner. I appreciate being asked for the podcast and then to lead in a devotional. So I want to uh, talk about something that I saw uh, going through Scripture, I'm um, like almost a theme through Scripture, but I wouldn't say exactly theme, but you'll see You'll see what I mean as we go. Um, even this morning here at His Hill, I was uh, speaking to the second-year students, and we were going through Exodus chapter 3, as we've spent some time in, in Exodus. And uh, the context of, of what happens here in chapter 3 is um, God is speaking to Moses. He's about to send Moses, commission Moses, to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This, of course, is all part of the plan of getting the, the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, which is the land that God promised to them, a land where the children of Israel can live, can grow, can thrive, can maintain their Jewish identity. And again, as I've uh, said before, um, maintain their Jewish identity for the sake of bringing the Messiah. Having a land, being in a, in a place where people can find them, living a lifestyle that is unique and distinct from most other nations on earth, keeping them distinct, and God said he was going to keep them distinct for the express purpose of the world being able to see them, keep an eye on them, and ultimately see the Messiah when he comes. That's what's going on here in Exodus. Um, but I wanted to point out uh, something in Exodus and then keep moving through uh, statements that have been made by various people in the scriptures. The first one is with Moses. So Moses is out in the wilderness in Midian by the Mount Horeb, and he sees this bush catch fire. It's actually not the bush on fire. It's the presence of God in the bush that is burning. So it's the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God is burning. Uh, and the, that's why the bush doesn't consume. Uh, anyway, so reading in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 3, 
God is speaking, and now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. That's Moses' commission. In verse 11, Moses responds, But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. So just by way of interest, God approaches Moses five times during the burning bush discussion and tells him, you're going to go and redeem my people out of Egypt. And Moses five times objects and says, not me, not me. I can't, I can't talk. I'm not sure who you are. They won't believe me. Um, Ultimately, please send somebody else. Well, here is the first objection. God, by the way, God doesn't go with that. God had chosen Moses, and Moses is the man. But in verse 11, um, Moses objects, the first objection. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Why me? How, what can I do? So God, in his response, pays no attention to Moses. Verse 12, and God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought this people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. You see, Moses, it doesn't matter when when you say, who am I? It It doesn't matter. God didn't tell Moses, no, you are the man. You are prepared. You are capable. Listen, I can send you to a special course on on leadership if that is what's necessary, Moses. No, God doesn't address any of that because in order for the children of Israel to get out of Egypt and in order for Moses to lead them out of Egypt, God is who is necessary. Moses is not the key. God is the key. So who am I that I should go and lead? God doesn't even respond to it. God says, I'll be with you. I will be with you. And Moses, uh, and that's sufficient for Moses. So I saw that and caught my attention pretty strongly. And um, so I began thinking, of who, might, who else might have said that? So if we go to Judges, chapter 6. Here in Judges in chapter 6, it's the story of of Gideon. It's the beginning of the story of Gideon. The Midianites are oppressing, uh, pressuring the children of Israel. And Gideon is now going to be the next judge. And Gideon is, uh, well, let's read the story starting in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the uh, Abiezrite, and his son Gideon, was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Strange place to beat out wheat, but perhaps a safer place because um, hiding it from the Midianites. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Gideon may not have felt like a valiant warrior. Let's see his response. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And why are all his miracles which our fathers, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
And the Lord looked at Gideon and said, Go in this uh, your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Go in your strength and deliver Israel. Have I not sent you? Gideon said, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. If anybody is not the man, I am not the man. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. That's all you need. That's all that's necessary. I don't know what's going on. What's going on in your life? We know what's going on in the world, not that we can explain it, not that we can organize it, not that we even understand it. We just know things are going on in the world and it's a bit haywire. How, how can we solve the problem? How can we address it? How can we deal with it? I know I can't. But the Lord is in me. The Lord is with me. And so... I don't know what the final result is supposed to be. I don't know what it's supposed to look like, but I know that it's the Lord I trust. I know, I have confidence that he is here and therein is my peace. Surely I will be with you. Gideon, you don't feel qualified to fight the Midianites. You're not, but that doesn't matter. I'll be with you. Moses, you don't feel qualified to lead the children of Israel. You're not. I'll be with you, though. That's all that matters, Moses. That's all that matters, Gideon. I mean, what more do we need? Come on, brethren. What more do we need than the Almighty God? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. Turn to 2 Samuel, please, chapter 7. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. This is where Nathan has told David that God is going to give him a, an eternal throne. It's ultimately the throne that the Messiah will sit on, the throne of David. Verse 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is Nathan telling David. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, says the Lord. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, the and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Here's David's response. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? Now, we don't get a response from God in this situation. We just get David's response. And for the rest of chapter 7, it's just David exalting God. He recognizes that it's not, it doesn't matter who I am as David. Who am I, says David? I'm nothing. I'm no one. I don't deserve an eternal throne. I don't deserve an eternal house. But by your grace, by your plan, according to your decree, according to your covenant with the people of Israel, according to your covenant with mankind that you're going to bring a Savior, this is your work. Who am I? I'm no one, and I don't matter. All that matters is you, God, and you're going to carry out your plan. 
please turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Right at the beginning. Verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Okay, here's the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations, to the world. Yes, to Israel, but to the world. I have some things I want proclaimed, and Jeremiah, I'm asking you to do it. Verse 6, Jeremiah speaking. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Okay, that gives us a feel for Jeremiah. He's young and he doesn't have confidence in the things he would say, certainly not in front of world leaders. So he's, he's objecting just as Moses objected. He's objecting as Gideon objected. Not me. I don't have what it takes. Too young. I don't speak well. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Stop there. Again, and we're just saying the same thing. Again, what more do we need to know? Jeremiah, what more do you need? David, it's not based on you that I'm giving you this kingdom. Gideon, what more do you need? Moses, what more do you need? I am with you. Brethren, we have got to have our perspective in this troubled world. We have got to have our perspective from God's mind, with God in the forefront, not with the world in the forefront. I know it sounds big and maybe it's, it's, it's real. It's the real truth. Trusting in the Lord, believing in God, having our identity found in him, walking according to what he is doing and whatever his plan is in his strength, that's what counts. That is our purpose. That is why we are here, ultimately for the salvation of the world. Jeremiah, it doesn't matter that you're young. Jeremiah, it doesn't matter that you can't speak. You'll have everything you need. And you know what that is that you'll have, Jeremiah? You'll have me. <clears throat> Please turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He doesn't understand what the dream means. He calls in his wise men and he says to his wise men, tell me what my dream is and then tell me the interpretation. They say, King, that is much too harsh. There's no way we can tell you the dream and the interpretation. You tell us the dream, we will tell you the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, you have to tell me the dream. If you can't, 
that's off with your head. So Arioch, who is a servant in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, hurriedly, in verse 25, Daniel chapter 2, Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follow. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, Daniel, said, I'm sorry, said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men nor conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mystery has made known to you what will take place. Okay, now let's just stop there. Daniel has said, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, God has told you while you're lying on your bed, he's told you what's going to happen in the future. No man can do this. No man can explain to you. No man can tell you what your dream was from God unless God reveals it. This is what God is doing, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now look at what Daniel says next, verse 29. Sorry, verse 30. But as for me, this mystery that I'm revealing to you, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Daniel saying, <clears throat> he's basically saying the same thing that Moses said and that that Gideon said, Jeremiah, who am I? Who am I? Daniel, though, is saying, <laughs> I'm no one. So, King, as I, as I give you this interpretation, don't look at me. Don't pay attention to me. This isn't my wisdom. This is God's wisdom. I am, I don't matter, King. As for me, the mystery hasn't been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other man. It's what God is doing. You see, to be brought in front of the most powerful man on earth and to do something virtually impossible for a man to do requires God to do it. And Daniel, walking in the full confidence of that, simply went up to the king and said, okay, here's your dream. This is what God is doing. Okay, now let's go to the let's go to Acts. We'll look at three more passages. Two different people. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, it's Peter and John. They've healed this man who has never walked. And they've lifted him up and he's walking. When they did that, the crowds came running to Peter and John to honor them, to exalt them. Verse 11, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And while the man was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. 
But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you, st- why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Look at what they've just done. In the temple, they've raised up this man's never walked before. The crowd sees it. They come running. I mean, what a miracle. And the crowd wants to exalt Peter and John. Why do you marvel? Why do you gaze at us? We didn't do it. Now, the fact that they could be used is because they were available. And that's all we need to be, brethren, is available. But I had a friend tell me just recently, he, he heard me speaking and, and doing some teaching. He said, that was good. And I said, okay, and it was me speaking, but if it was good, it was God doing it. And that's true. And there's not a flippancy in saying that. It's not a false humility. It could sound like it. It's not a false humility. It's truth. And let us not be afraid to speak truth. That's what Peter said. Oh, it's not us. It's God. It's truth. Acts chapter 10. Peter again. This time Peter is with Cornelius. Verse 23, Acts chapter 10. And so Cornelius invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he arose... I'm sorry. Um... This is, they're still in Joppa. And on the next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. Stop there. Peter had come. Cornelius is amazed, astounded by, the, by God's work in his life, speaking to him, telling him to send for Peter and Joppa, and Peter coming. And when Peter gets there, he says, it's not me. This is God who's at work. It's God who spoke to you. It's God who spoke to me, and it's God who sent me, and it's God who directed you to bring all of your family together. It's not me, Cornelius. Don't give me the glory and don't give me the credit. Last passage. Acts chapter 14. Peter and Barnabas are in Lystra, first missionary journey. They heal a man who's been lame from his mother's womb. We've read that before. Verse 12. Verse 11. When the multitude saw what Peter... I'm sorry. When the multitude saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these 
vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Stop there. Men, why are you doing these things? We did not heal this man. We're a vehicle. We're a vessel. But we did not heal this man. The whole point of this healing is that you would turn from your vain idols and turn to the living God. So brethren, be available. God will use you. I don't know if he's going to heal lame people through you. He could. But he'll use you. He'll use you in your workplace. He'll use you in your family. He'll use you in your church. He'll use you on the street. He'll use you in the coffee shop. Just be available. What miracle will he perform? Maybe something dramatic like healing a lame man or maybe just listening to somebody who needs someone to hear. I don't know. That's not my business. That's God's business. And God will carry out his business. Who am I? I'm nobody. But it doesn't matter. I've got God. So let's just make ourselves available to God for him to do whatever it is he wants, whenever it is he wants, wherever it is he wants. Brethren, that's why we're on earth, for God's use, for his glory, and it's great. Thanks. Bye. I want to thank Wayne for being faithful to God with this great reminder, which we all need to come to terms with, that being, I'm nobody, therefore I must make myself available to God. This is what the Apostle Paul did in Romans 7, 24, and the first part of 25, where we read, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the believer has great hope in the impossible tasks we face each day in our flesh. For we have Jesus. Are you fixed on him? I'm Kelly Darty. Thanks for listening. Our annual ladies retreat is just around the bend from April 1st through the 3rd, and we are excited to welcome alumni and friends of the ministry to come for a weekend of fellowship and good teaching. If you or someone you know is interested in attending, please go to our website at hishill.org for more information or to register. All of our teachers here at The Hill are available to come speak at alumni churches, retreats, or any like event. If you would like to get in touch with one of our teachers about speaking at an upcoming event, please contact Kelly at kelly at hishill.org. You've been listening to the His Hill Podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and Wayne Wiseman. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. We serve a beautiful God and he is worthy of our heart and trust. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.